0: hey this is george kittle and you're listening to candlestick chronicles
2: what's going on everybody welcome back to candlestick chronicles my name is chris biederman i cover the 49ers for the sacramento bee with me again fresh off his romantic trip to monterey in the monterey bay aquarium it is kyle madsen of niners wire of the usa today sports media group kyle man we're we're dying to know how was your trip
1: It was fantastic. It was a really, really fun time. Uh, Ate a lot of good food, drank a lot of good drinks and got to hang out on the beach, go to the aquarium. It was it was really fantastic. And the weather was beautiful. Like it couldn't have been better.
2: So when I went to the aquarium a couple years ago, the otters were definitely the MVP of the day. And then uh, a close second were the jellyfish in the in the deep sea section.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably my one, too, as well. The otters were very active. They were playing and cleaning themselves. Uh, I was a big fan of the otters. They're like water cats. They're just the best. And then the jellyfish were really cool too. That whole that whole area, even the big tank with the sea turtles and the hammerhead sharks, it's it's really fascinating to me, and I, I couldn't wrap my brain around this because all the coral stuff, like the kelp forest and it was unreal some of the stuff they had in there, and the way some of these things survive in the ocean. I don't... If you don't think aliens exist, go to that aquarium and you'll realize that aliens exist on Earth. Like...
2: (laughs) Right. Like, underwater is a completely different planet.
1: It's wild, dude.
2: Yeah. It's crazy, man. Well... Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought the deep sea part was super cool because it's just so much different. Yeah, like it's all it's all dark, and they have really cool sort of lighting effects and backgrounds. But but yeah, it's just surreal. If you if you get a chance to go to the Monterey Monterey Bay Aquarium, highly recommend it. Uh, And that's not an ad. Yeah, and well, if they wanted to sponsor us, we'd be more than willing to uh, to take that on too. So uh, hit our people, Monterey Bay Aquarium. But we're going to talk about the 49ers, and being a week into free agency, the new 2019 league year, the Niners have already made a bunch of moves. A little bit of news came out Monday morning, or I guess over the weekend. Uh, Dave Gettleman, the Giants journal manager, discussed the Odell Beckham Jr. trade to the Cleveland Browns with the the local media on a conference call in New York. And he basically said he admitted what we had long uh, suspected that the 49ers were definitely interested in Odell Beckham Jr. And that had been reported previously. And he said he had a bunch of conversations with John Lynch. Ultimately, it didn't end up happening. Obviously, the Browns ended up trading for Beckham, sending a first, a third, and Jabril Peppers, who was a 2017 first round pick of safety out of Michigan. And it was reported by Peter King of NBC Sports and his Pro Football Morning in America column that comes out every week that the 49ers were hesitant to give up their first round pick this year, which is number two overall, and DeForest Buckner, and potentially a high pick next year, and that the 49ers were maybe willing to depart with pick number 36 and maybe Jaquaski tart their strong safety, but that wasn't a deal the Giants were interested in. So there's a lot to unpack with that. I think it sort of confirms and, and we talked about this last week. I think we devoted an entire podcast to it about the idea of moving out of the number two pick for Odell Beckham Jr. And I think John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and Parag Morate agree with us in that that number two pick is too valuable to move on to, to move off of for a player that's going to be making, you know, 18 million dollars a year over the next five years, also departing with the forest bucket. I think that was shocking. That was kind of shocking that the Giants would would be so bold in, in asking for that total package in, in a trade for, for a receiver.
1: Yeah, perhaps it was like an NFC tax because if you're giving me the choice between the number 17, a third rounder, and Jabril Peppers, or the number two and DeForest Buckner, those aren't comparable at all. So I'm guessing they wanted more from the Niners because it was the NFC, maybe, but it's it's a fascinating look into what what the Giants' mindset there was. And you have to credit the Niners for not just trying to jump and make a splash deal. Because that would have gotten their name in the the news and it would have netted them a top three receiver, top five receiver to put into Kyle Shanahan's offense that he's known for. But they're building this team much more deliberately than that. They know they weren't a wide receiver away. And I think that's ultimately what this comes down to is how much do they, the team, value wide receivers? And is adding one worth giving up two of the team's best future assets? And I don't, I don't think it was.
2: Right, and, and I wrote a column about it last week saying, you know, the 49ers would be wise to shore up the defense with all these assets that they have going forward, whether that's cap space or draft picks. And they can and we talked about it, too, is that they can muster enough offense to be competitive without getting Odell Beckham Jr. I just think, you know, going back to going back to my theory, like you just need good players on defense on every level of the defense to win a Super Bowl. And ultimately, that has to be the goal for the 49ers, not to to just score more points. You go back uh, and it's it's an NFL, you know, the league is becoming an offensive league and, and perhaps that's more true each season and as it goes on. But if you look at each Super Bowl, generally the team that wins the Super Bowl has a good defense, no matter what direction the league is going. The Eagles shut down the Patriots a couple years ago. Obviously, the Patriots put the clamps on the Rams last year, limiting arguably the best offense in the NFL to just three points. The Ravens had a bunch of guys in the Super Bowl that, you know, when they beat the 49ers, so the 49ers, the 49ers got to that Super Bowl on the back of their defense. You, you need a really good defense. And I don't think getting Beckham as much as they need a number one receiver solves may, makes them much closer to being to being a, a real life competitor, because and especially if it, you know, if it costs them number two, then, OK, you have to figure out another way to find a good pass rusher opposite D Ford. You have to, if you move on from Buckner, then not only do you lose that chance at a pass rusher, but maybe you lose a shot at getting Buckner's replacement, whether that's Keenan Williams or at Oliver or someone else like that on the inside. And if you give up pick 36, then then that's your shot at maybe finding a safety, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in this podcast. So it seems like John Lynch and and Kyle Shanahan agreed with us in, in what we said last week in that a trade like that just just isn't worth it for the 49ers because they can generate offense in other ways. And perhaps they could find maybe not an Odell Beckham junior level receiver, but maybe they could find a a thousand yard receiver in the second or third round of this draft where it looks like there are going to be a bunch of different options to pick from. And if Kyle Shanahan can scheme them up, like he has so many times throughout his career as an offensive coordinator and play caller, then I think the 49ers could be in good shape and fortifying the defense is going to put them closer to to getting to where they want to go in terms of being a contender.
1: Kyle Shanahan has a long history, not like a couple times, but a long history at every single one of his stops of getting productivity from receivers that neither you nor I have really ever heard of. And when you have a coach, an offensive-minded head coach with that kind of track record, I think you lean on that. And, and then, like you said, you build your defense because... Every Super Bowl, like you mentioned, has come down to a team being able to get a stop. I'm sure somebody listening will nitpick and be like, well, the Eagles didn't shut down the Patriots. No, but they got key stops late.
2: Yeah. And they had good players on defense.
1: Yes. And that's, that's really what it's going to continue to come down to. And the Niners obviously need to score points. But dude, they had the number 18 ranked offense last year with three different quarterbacks and makeshift receiving core that was banged up all year like if they're healthy I think I think their offense takes a massive leap without adding anybody and then if you add a receiver on day 2 in the draft and if Jordan Matthews pans out suddenly you're looking you're looking fine at that position so in my in my opinion in my personal team building philosophy I think they're absolutely doing this throw right
2: yeah, and I I found this stat in uh, while I was researching for my column and it was that 7 of the last 10 Super Bowl winners ranked in the top 10 in both scoring defense and overall defense. So there's a pretty strong correlation, right? Wow. Like yeah, you you have to have a good defense and we've talked about it a lot, you need to win playoff games on the road against really good offenses if you want to get to the Super Bowl obviously. Um, so you look at the possibility of, of having Nick Bosa play opposite D Ford now and the potential that that twosome could have. And then I'll add in DeForest Buckner, who might be, you know, one of the best defensive interior players in the league over these next few years. Like the guy just turned 25 on Sunday on St. Patrick's Day, which I think is funny that DeForest Buckner, like one of the largest humans, on earth has was born on St. Patrick's day, but he just turned 25. Like he hasn't really developed his, his old man strength yet. Like can you, can you imagine <laughs> DeForest Buckner like when he's 30 and how strong he's going to be compared to how he is now?
1: Yeah. A lot of, lot of strength development happens through your late twenties.
2: Right, and it, and it's not even just weight room strength. It's just like like Justin Smith epitomized like old man yes. strength, right? Like when he got late in his career, you just could not move that dude, and he would push offensive linemen back into the quarterback and basically sack him with one arm because he had so much old man strength. Buckner's twenty five; he's not even there yet. So you just look at the potential of the pass rush with these guys. I think it makes tons of sense to avoid giving away assets to continue, you know, fortifying that group. What we get, Can we talk about why the Giants did this? Like why they why they even want to trade it, trade him in the first place? Yeah, because yeah. it, it really doesn't make sense. I, th- they gave him a five-year deal. So Gettleman gets hired in December 2017. They have the number two overall pick. They decide to stick with Eli Manning. And sticking with Eli Manning means surrounding him with the most talent possible at, at the skill positions, right? So they draft... Saquon Barkley at number two overall. And I am definitely in the camp that you don't necessarily need to draft a running back that early because good offenses can get production from running backs. I mean, you can get really good production from undrafted running backs. And I think Kyle Shanahan and and his dad are, are, you know, an obvious example of that. So you invest in a, instead of getting a franchise quarterback, then you give Odell Beckham Jr. a Five year, $90 million contract. And then you trade him and you sort of, we don't know if they're recommitted to Eli Manning again this year, but in his conference call today, Dave Gettleman said that he thought the Eli Manning played a lot better once they fortified the offensive line and started, you know, the offense ticked up a little bit towards the end of the season. Like, (laughs) you're going to run it back with Eli Manning who, Oh okay. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know what they're doing. Like, I, I I understand. I understand wanting to get your own guys in and and sort of tear it down. But they're they're sort of walking the line between tearing it down and trying to remain competitive. And it just doesn't really make any sense because it's it's basically it's an impossible line to walk in the NFL. Like you either have to be fully into rebuilding, which is what the Browns have done, and why the Browns could get Odell Beckham Jr. By the way. Is the fact that they had a, they have their franchise quarterback on a rookie contract who's making eight million dollars, not like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to make twenty two million dollars this year, so that's obviously a huge factor too, and why it's Beckham is a better fit on the Browns just given the salary structure that that they that they're dealing with, but yeah, I just I have no idea what the Giants are doing. Like I I don't think it's possible to walk this line of like well we're rebuilding and trying to stay competitive at the same time. It just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, and if you're trying to stay competitive, I don't know why you're trying to do that with Eli Manning. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing over the last like half decade that says he's still going to be a productive player. I think the Saquon pick is defensible uh, because I think Saquon might be like a generational talent, and I, I fully understand that you can get production with other running backs. But if he is a versatile like Todd Gurley type, or maybe even a tick above Todd Gurley. You can center an offense around that, and you can you can build around that. Mm-hmm. But their adherence to Eli Manning over the last three, four, five years, has been mind numbing. And now, now they're punting Odell for. This was originally like, oh, they'll trade him, but for two first round picks. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take right. two firsts, or maybe a first and a, and a second. And then it turned into a first, a third, and an okay player. All right. It none, nothing about what happened made sense in terms of them being better either this year or next year.
2: Yeah, and and the Giants are sort of an example of why the 49ers would be wise to not deal for Odell Beckham, right? The Giants have other issues that they need to clean up. They need to be better on defense. They need to add talent there. They obviously need to be better on the offensive line. And trading Beckham at least gives them more assets and cap space to do that. Right. The 49ers have tons of issues on defense. So getting Beckham would mean giving away the assets in the cap space. And you're essentially taking on the same problems that the Giants are dealing with right now. or dealing with before they got rid of Beckham. Correct. So the same reason that like the same logic that applies to the giants getting rid of Beckham in terms of building up the rest of the roster applies to the 49ers. So it's like, that's why, I mean, I understand why people look at, you know, the 49ers were the worst offense in the red zone last year. Okay. They also were playing a former undrafted quarterback. Who's our third <laughs> stringer. Yeah. But you know, they have a needed receiver, but it's like it, it just on its face. It's, you're just basically turning into the West Coast version of the Giants just in terms of roster construction because you have so many needs elsewhere that you're not going to be able to address in a meaningful way if you add Beckham to, in a trade, in that kind of trade.
1: I think ultimately the fact that they didn't pull the trigger on a trade for Beckham signals everything we thought and everything a lot of people thought in that they're valuing defense and rushing the passer more than they are valuing wide receivers i think i think to them finding a julio jones type of player is a complete luxury where if they build out their defense and they go into the draft next year and they're comfortable with what they have on that side of the ball and they're picking 25th and they want to trade up to take who they think is the best receiver available okay then maybe but i just i i don't see that happening anytime in the near future just because they they have so many other areas they need to solidify and they seem committed to doing that before they they find a top receiver
2: that's interesting that you mentioned julio jones because i just looked at his con so julio jones last year was a a complete monster. So, Oh, no. 1,677 yards, led the NFL, average 104.8 yards per game, caught 67% of his targets, eight touchdowns. We all know Julio Jones is really good, right? Julio Jones in 2019 is going to be 30. He's going to be making $13.5 million. So Julio Jones now, with Odell Beckham's contract and Antonio Brown's new contract, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head for Antonio Brown, but Julio Jones is 2 years left on his deal at probably submarket value now that Brown and Beckham are so much more highly paid right so yep you would think at some point the Falcons are either going to re-sign him and he's going to want a lucrative deal probably you know 3 or 4 years beyond the 2 years remaining on his on his contract He signed through 2020, scheduled for unrestricted free agency in 2021. If you're Julio Jones, and there were talks about this last year before he signed his deal, or he was holding out, right?
1: And he wanted new contracts? Yeah. Yeah, but I believe he showed up in camp.
2: So if he was holding out, then potentially wanting a new contract. So uh, I, I guess the point I'm making is there's a chance that Julio Jones becomes available in a trade. At some point over the next year or two, just given his contract and given maybe the hesitancy the Falcons have at giving him a new deal. And he's 30. And he's 30. So he's basically the same age as Antonio Brown without all the off the field stuff. Obviously, you know, he fits in Kyle Shanahan's offense because he was a complete monster uh, with Kyle Shanahan. He had in 2015 with Kyle Shanahan as offensive coordinator at 1,871 yards. That's good. Uh, the next year, pretty significant dip the next year, uh, 1,409 yards. So I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, so I, I guess (laughs) the point I'm the, I would keep an eye on Julio Jones in that situation with the Falcons, because I mean, it, it looks like his future is a little bit uncertain there and maybe he spends the end of his career somewhere else. And I would imagine the 49ers obviously would be linked to that.
1: Julio Jones, in terms of average salary, is the 11th highest paid receiver in the league. In terms of dollars, he is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7th. And in practical guarantees, that's according to uh, Spotrack, he is 6th. I mean, that's that's not a super expensive contract. And
2: this is a guy who had 1,677 yards last year. Right. Yeah, so keep an eye on that since we know the 49ers are in the market for receivers. Also, one other thought I had coming out of the, the idea that the Giants wanted DeForest Buckner and the 49ers said no, just for, aside from a pure value standpoint, that's not a valuable deal for the 49ers, I wouldn't think. Um, but them wanting Buckner would indicate to me that, and I haven't thought that they would draft Queen and Williams, but their hesitancy to include Buckner in that deal makes me think that they're going to keep Buckner around and Queen and Williams is probably most likely not going to be the pick at number two, or even if they trade back, I think they're going to try to complement D. Ford on the other side with an edge rusher.
1: My guess is the only way they select a player like Quinn and Williams is if something insane happens and he falls to the second. round, Which is not going to happen. Right, correct. He's going to go in the top five. Yeah, I, I've been... You and I both have been off that train for a long time, and this this just further confirms that.
2: Yeah, and I think it's fair; it, it's reasonable, I guess, to look at adding D Ford and say, "Well, they got their edge rusher. Maybe now they're more likely to take Queen and Williams." I don't agree with that at all. Um, I don't think getting D Ford really impacts the thinking with number two in terms of getting another edge rusher because if like like we've said if you get another elite guy opposite D Ford and somebody like Josh Allen or Nick Bosa then you really have the makings of a monstrous pass rush which can carry your defense a long way particularly if you're not having if you don't have a ton of talent in the secondary which the 49ers and obviously the 49ers released Cassius Marsh on Friday uh, which is somewhat surprising I mean I I was obviously the 49ers were going to place replace Cassius Marsh with D. Ford, like that was going to be where Ford got his snaps at Marsh's spot. But I was a little surprised the 49ers didn't keep Marsh around just because, I mean, you still need depth. So moving on from him at this point in the offseason program signals that, well, no matter what, he wasn't going to have a spot on the roster, which again is another signal that they're probably looking at adding at least one more edge player either in the draft or free agency or both. So, you know, I, I don't, I tend not to think yeah. that one move directly impacts something else because a lot can happen in terms of needs. And, and, you know, we talk about needs, I think needs sort of as a whole, as a concept are a little bit overrated because, you know, some guy could, could tear an ACL at, you know, working out at Exos or whatever, one of these, one of these off season places where these guys exercise, it's like, That can happen, and then your needs change on a dime. So, um, but like, I I tend to think that getting rid of Cassius Marsh right after trading for D Ford is a pretty clear indicator that they're not done addressing the edge. Because I can't imagine they're going to roll out Dakota Watson and you know Solomon Thomas or Eric Armstead on the other side and think that's going to be the plan when they have the number two pick in the draft and, and Nick Bosa potentially staring them right in the face.
1: Yeah, I agree with you okay (laughs) I don't have a lot to add (laughs) well
2: you know what yesterday was Kyle
1: what was yesterday
2: the uh, Selection Sunday for the NCAA tournament have you heard of
1: it out of town
2: yeah Uh, not everyone can go on romantic excursions some other people need to hang around their TV and check out the brackets when it comes out on Selection Sunday The first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year, Kyle. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first-round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with the title? Can Virginia get get past its loss to a
1: 16 seed last year? I've been saying no, but I think they might.
2: (laughs) And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, MyBookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business. And the best part is they pay you out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash in. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE for a 50% sign-up bonus that's promo code BLUEWIRE. With my bookie, you play, you win, you get paid.
0: This is Mike McGlinchey the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicle.
2: I haven't, I think I've watched like maybe a game and a half total of Ohio State hoops this year, and that's been my collective college basketball watching.
1: it. God, I love college basketball. I watched like the entire first half of the SEC title game between Auburn and Tennessee, and it was enough to know that I am rooting like hell for Auburn. They just shoot threes. Like Bruce Pearl is like, yeah, we're just going to shoot a ton of threes. And I love that. It's my favorite brand of basketball.
2: I actually take it back. I I have watched Zion play a little bit. It's Um, unbelievable. But like, can I be honest? Like the Warriors have kind of ruined college hoops for me.
1: College hoops ruined college hoops for me, but keep going
2: that's fair. I mean, the Warriors just play like one of the most entertaining brands of basketball we've ever seen. Right. And then college hoops is like standing around, passing back and forth along the perimeter zone defense, just a lot of terrible shooters taking shots. It's just not, and like scores like 55 to 48. Yeah. Like these are like half them scores in Warriors games. Anyway. There are
1: some entertaining college basketball games, but the average college basketball game is extremely tough to watch. But
2: And I'm also I'm also all the way out on the block charge. Like just get <laughs> rid of it. Stop like it's it is not good defense to take a charge. I'm entirely off of it. Like just planting under the basket and taking a charge. I just I, it, it needs to go away. <laughs> Just let it be a no call. Every time someone takes a charge and every time somebody plows into somebody else, just let it be a no call and we'll just legislate it out of the game.
1: Over I, do, it. I do love, as as much as I don't love college basketball, March Madness is one of my favorite sporting events of the year. I, I watch, I, I download the app. I'm, I've got it on four different screens. Yeah. And I might wager a little bit, you know. When I
2: was, uh, so I graduated college after my winter quarter. <laughs> There's a long story behind that, but it's not endearing to me. So I'm not, I'm not going to explain it on the podcast, but I had, I had wifi in my Ohio state gym and I had the app, like you mentioned, and throughout like the entire two hour ceremony, I was basically ignoring everything happening on stage and just watching marching March madness in my graduating class of like a thousand people. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the 49ers. Speaking of defense, they did not get Earl Thomas in free agency. He signed a massive four-year, $55 million contract with the Baltimore Ravens. The Niners on Monday officially welcomed Jimmy Ward back on his one-year contract. That was obviously reported last week that he would come back. I think it's a deal worth just south of $5 million. So definitely a prove-it type contract. I would imagine there's a lot of language in there that incentivizes Ward not to get hurt i.e. instead of fully guaranteeing his his salary which was i want to say eight over eight and a half million last year on his fifth year option Ward is going to have to play a lot to earn all of his money this year and so we're going to sort of spin this forward and talk about how the Niners decision to handle safety throughout the first week of, of the new league year impacts the NFL draft and you know, bringing back Ward, not making an aggressive push for Earl Thomas, it, it speaks, or at least it, it projects to me that that they're interested in a safety in the draft. And doing a little bit of digging, I, I haven't gone through the U- YouTube rabbit hole of, you know, looking at all these guys and, and watching all their games, but just doing some preliminary research, looking at Pro Football Focus's draft guide, which is really good, doing some reading on, on the draftnetwork.com, is it the Draft Network? Yeah, the draftnetwork.com. Apologies. And just other, you know, various internet research. Like, there are some good safeties that the 49ers could have in the second or third round of this draft. And I think they're probably targeting one of these guys rather than investing in a veteran like Earl Thomas and giving out that massive contract that he got from Baltimore.
1: Yeah, it sure signals that. And And when you look at, we're going to dive into it wouldn't be that big of a surprise to see. We've talked a lot about them trading up into the back end of round one. It would not be a surprise if they tried to target one of these guys in in that kind of move.
2: Yeah, they could trade back in round one, which they did in 2016 and 2017. Obviously, it hasn't worked for them yet because it netted them. Joshua Garnett, uh, the guard who's probably going to be a backup or even competing for a roster spot this offseason, and then Reuben Foster, and obviously Reuben Foster is no longer on the team. But it does make sense from an investment standpoint, because getting a player in the first round ensures that you get that fifth year option. So he's controllable on an affordable deal for the last year of that contract, rather than, you know, all other players who get drafted outside the first round, their rookie contracts span four seasons. So you have a little bit more control, there's some value there, long term, but you know, it's not a guarantee that they do do that. They're at number 36, which is, you know, a lot of times when you're picking at that spot, it's sort of the the range where you can get a first round prospect who maybe had something come up like an injury or something that just caused him to slip down boards a little bit. Um, I'm not entirely sure any of these five safeties we're going to talk about qualify, but but I do think, you know, there's, there's a good chance the 49ers might want to trade up if they think, you know The Seahawks could potentially look at a safety, and they're picking in the back end of the first round. Maybe the 49ers want to jump them, or maybe there's a guy that they just can't live without and and that they want. So the first one, I think, is pretty obvious. The guy from Delaware, Nasir Adderley, the 49ers, they didn't coach Adderley in the senior bowl. He was on the North team, but... The, the Niners did get some time with the North players and in turn allowing the Raiders getting some time with the South players. But Adderley is, I mean, the, an ankle injury prevented him from working out at the Combine. So we don't exactly know how he's going to test. But from all accounts, scouting reports online and different things, he seems like one of the top free safeties in this class and somebody who would fit the single high scheme who would make, who would certainly make sense for the 49ers if they like what he brings from an off the field standpoint too, which they probably got to know pretty well having been around him at the senior bowl.
1: And when you talk about a prospect that might slide an ankle injury that keeps a player from working out at the combine is the exact kind of thing that teams go, Oh, you know, what about that ankle? He didn't work out at the combine. He'll probably work out at a pro day or or something. Teams will have him have him in for, for private sessions as well. But that's just one of those little things that if a team is deciding between Adderley and uh, say Deontay Thompson from Alabama, that ankle injury might push him down below Thompson on their board.
2: Why don't don't we go on to to Thompson? Because I think there was a consensus that he might be like a top 10 prospect coming into the season. And then some, I don't think he played maybe as well as he could have. and, And some people talk about recognition issues and being able to get, manipulated by quarterbacks in terms of you know shifting their vision. Um so Deontay Thompson. <laughs> so what can he do, Kyle? Tell me what he can do.
1: Tell me what he can do, Chris, not what he can't do. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one second. I got my notes here. He's a, he's basically he's a basically a, a athletic enough to play free safety, the single high free safety. But he has really good size. He's six one, a buck 95, 32 and an eighth inch arms, a nine and seven eighth inch hands. Big hands. I, yeah, big hands. Which is Chris's. Uh, which is so Chris's thing.
2: no interceptions in his college career and three pass breakups. Which is you know I don't I don't love to do the thing where it's like obviously people get mad when you box score scout, but I think stuff like that is important when you're talking about a defense that badly needs turnovers and uh, and if you targeting a player who's going to change the the face of the defense in terms of the ability to get turnovers. That is something that is notable. So I don't know that necessarily that would preclude the 49ers from being interested, but I think it might be telling in that, you know, when, when you play behind a defensive front, as good as Alabama, you know, I would, it's definitely worth looking into the tape. Okay. Why didn't this guy get more interceptions? And he only had three pass breakups. So all coming in 2018, no pass breakups on 226 snaps in 2017. This is all pro football focus. Uh, That's something I would definitely look at. One guy who tested, like, blew the combine away and has a ton of production that might be of interest to the 49ers, Juan Thornhill of Virginia – uh, nine interceptions in force in over four seasons and 20 pass breakups. And a guy who ran the 40 and 442 vertical jump in 44 inches, which is the 99th percentile, and a broad jump of 141 inches, which which is in the 99th percentile. So when you're talking about you know the production versus traits, uh, six foot 202 pounds uh, graded really well against the run in pro Football focuses metrics. I think Thornhill might grow on me as as my preferred option if I were making the pick for the 49ers whether that's you know back at the back end of the first round or maybe moving or at pick number 36 in the second round if they do go safety he at that spot
1: has like i said he's a, he's a good athlete he didn't test at the combine, but really good athlete, good ball skills and he just looks like one of those guys that'll plug in and immediately make a defense better by by playing that single high safety role.
2: No, they they have somebody in mind. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I, I think, you know, when you look at all the safeties that that went in free agency, whether it's a Marcus Joyner or HaHa Clinton Dix or Tyron Matthew, aside from Earl Thomas, the Niners could have had any of that. Like Trey Boston is still on the market, who I think would provide the 49ers an upgrade at safety right now. But they're deciding against that, despite still having upwards of, uh, I think, 37 million in cap space, which is still number three in the league, even after all the moves that they've made already they could afford to get another safety in free agency at, even after getting Jimmy Ward back. So to me, it signals that they have safeties in mind. And I would imagine that they are going to target somebody and perhaps maneuver up and down the board, depending on how they think this thing's going to shake out. So the next, the next guy we should look at, and, and the 49ers obviously have a, have a pipeline, it seems like, with Iowa. Amani Hooker is sort of an intriguing player some people think he's a strong safety some people think he's a free safety some people think he's a cornerback i haven't watched him enough to to really have a, an opinion yet but he's gonna be somebody who's going to be in that first second round mix uh, and maybe somebody the 49ers take a hard look at
1: yeah it seems like when you when you go down the depth at like edge rusher and wide receiver and safety, there's going to be a really good player available, not only at 36, but then you start dipping into the third round and who's mm-hmm. going to fall down there.
2: Yeah, and John Ledyar, who, Ledyard, who does a really good job on the Draft Network, says the biggest, uh, the worst trait for a hooker is his range and athleticism. And to me, that that would certainly raise a red flag if, if you were targeting a free safety. And maybe, you know, Jaquaski tart has missed just about half the games the last two seasons due to injury. Uh, We don't know how committed the Niners are to him because uh, he only got a two year extension last year. So they could move off from that contract if they wanted to. So, you know, they might find a replacement at strong safety or, or maybe, you know, I, I would say of the, the 49ers players who have trade value, I would think tart is probably near the top of the list in terms of trade value and, perhaps the likelihood that the 49ers would trade him Um, because they do have Marcel Harris. They might like a strong safety in this draft. Um, And maybe it's hooker. Maybe, maybe that's the direction that they go. Uh, I wouldn't totally count on it because I think there's still considerable upside with Tart and you have him on an affordable deal, at least to sort of figure out what he can be like if he does put a healthy season together. But I don't know that we can completely disregard the idea of them adding a strong safety in this draft. Uh, another
1: guy yeah when i watched him a little bit he got mocked to the 49ers in in one of draft oh, no. do i need to do that mock drafts and i watched a little bit of him and he does play safety like a linebacker he jumped out as a as a strong safety for me uh i haven't i okay. haven't looked into his his numbers enough his his testing numbers to know if he can play that free safety spot but like i said he jumped out on tape as a as a strong safety to me, just just because of the way he attacks the position.
2: Yeah, four four eight definitely looks like he's athletic enough. Uh, not very long, thirty and, a, and an eight and one eighth inch arms. Not very big hands either. So obviously, that's a huge detraction. Yeah, these these are all guys that I I need to watch more. To be honest, Taylor Rapp. Speaking of strong safeties, Taylor Rapp from Washington. I've heard some people say, like, kind of a a diet version of Derwin James, just from a standpoint of, you know, instincts, a nose for the ball, just the ability to sort of play deep or strong. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I feel like Taylor Rapp is just destined to be a Seattle Seahawk, personally. But also, I mean, if I think that, then I would have to think that he might be an option for the 49ers because they run the same defense. Another guy I haven't watched a ton, but somebody that we should definitely think about, and there's going to be some first-round buzz around him because of just how solid of a player he is. You, you have Taylor Rapp thoughts? you watch much Washington this year? Hey,
1: can I can I, real quick, did you by chance look at Imani Hooker's Spider-Graph? Okay. He compares his top two comparisons, according to Mock Draftable, are Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and Nasir Adderley. A couple more down the list is Taylor Rapp. He's 78th percentile in the 20-yard shuttle, 79 in the three cone, 70 in the broad jump, 70 in the vertical jump, 81 in the 40 yard dash.
2: Okay, three interceptions, five pass breakups over three seasons. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, no. for me, if I were to rank him, I mean, I would have I would have Juan Thornhill, I think, atop the list if I were Juan Thornhill and, and Nasir Adderley would probably be my top two in terms of uh, you know, my my preferred choices for for free safety. And both of those guys are probably going to be gone late first or early second. And maybe somebody like Hooker or Deontay Thompson or Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is available a little bit later. I, I, one thing I do feel confident, and I know we've talked about this a lot, too, is that I think the second and third round, day two, the 49ers are going to come away with a, some combination of a safety and a receiver. Yeah. Um, I feel pretty confident that they'll they'll address those positions in the second and third round if they don't trade back into the first.
1: Yeah, that's I'm I'm right there with you. Unless just an insane value at a different position falls to them at number thirty-six or or is in a position where they can trade up and take them late in the second uh late in the first round. I don't see them going any direction besides safety and receiver in the in on on day two
2: okay well so that's sort of our our short safety preview that just came up because the 49ers decided against adding a significant free agent bringing back jimmy ward instead um can we talk can we talk analytics kyle put i love analytics all right so the the sloan sports conference uh which is hosted i think by mit every year so a lot of smart people they a group focusing on analytics ca- at the Sloan conference called the Raiders trade of Khalil Mack, uh, the best trade made in the NFL last season from the Raiders perspective, because they got off of Mac who obviously got a huge contract with the bears and they got first round picks in 2019 and 2020, a third round pick in 2020 and a 2019 six round pick discuss.
1: <laughs> I just can't, I, I can't comprehend like, okay, uh, here's, here's here's where it makes sense because in in analytics driven conferences like that they're looking at the value of a draft pick based on like if that draft pick were to hit right like the the percentage chance that you get a quality starter with the number 24 pick or 27 or whatever it may be I think that they are valuing those draft picks much higher than is probably realistic. I mean, if the Raiders, if the Raiders whiff on all of their picks that they got from the bears, then the bears win the trade. Like that's, that's easy. But if the Raiders come up with like three or four starters out of all those picks, then yeah, the bears come out looking foolish. But I think right now, just based on what we saw Khalil Mack do for their defense and the struggles that the Raiders uh, had a season ago, I don't think there's any way that you can look at that and go, you know what, great trade for the Raiders. At least not right now. Maybe we look back on it in five years and say that, but I can't sit here right now on March 18th of 2019 and tell you that the Raiders did the right thing.
2: No, I completely agree. And the reason why you draft early in the first round is to get players like Khalil Mack, and then ultimately keep them on your team for a long time. And yeah, there are salary cap ramifications of that. But I will always contend that even if you have a quarterback making elite quarterback money like Derek Carr is, with the way the cap is growing, basically 10 million a season since 2013, you can afford to have multiple lucrative contracts. And for whatever reason, the Raiders didn't want to give Khalil Mack a contract that he deserves, despite the fact that he's probably one of the three or four best players in the NFL at any position period. Right. You talk to, you know, I we talked to players on the 49ers because the Niners played both the bears and the Raiders. And we talked to them a lot about Khalil Mack and like Mike McGlinchey, you know he has he's only been in the league for one year, but he was like there was nobody he take Mike McGlinchey faced a ton of really good pass rushers, and and yeah, he missed Joey Bosa in that week four game against the Chargers. But he played against Khalil Mack, he played against the guys in Minnesota, Daniil Hunter, um and Everson Griffin, played against Melvin Ingram with the Chargers, who gave him fits until that was sort of a turning point for McGlinchy. But that aside, Von Miller, Von Miller, uh, Earl Clark. D Ford and Justin Houston, like there were a ton of really good pass rushers that McGlinchey went against. And he was like, with, without a doubt there, there like Khalil Mack was far and away the best guy he faced. And I just think it's telling. It's like, I mean, man, he's really good. So I, I guess to your point, like we have no idea if John Gruden is a good drafter, right? Like we, we, we have no idea. So to say, right. well, the Raiders won that trade. Well, yeah, they won the trade if if the object of the trade is to acquire assets. Sure. They drafted Colton Miller, tackle from UCLA last year with the 15th pick. Is Colton Miller good? I don't know. They drafted Brandon Parker in the third round, 65th overall, who the Niners completely abused in that November blowout. You know, Darion Conley has had his issues. I mean, this is before before John Gruden got there, but the Raiders haven't drafted well in a while. And we just don't know. Like, okay. You, if you look at the Cleveland situation where over the past few years, it's been a complete teardown, and they've traded off all their expensive contracts and acquired a ton of picks in the process. They're rebuilding it the right way. And from that standpoint, it makes sense because John Dorsey is good at drafting and he's a good talent evaluator. The Raiders have, Mike Mayock, who may or may not be a good GM. We honestly have no idea. It's a coin flip at this point. And they have John Gruden, who does not have a good history uh, dating back to his previous tenure with the Raiders, dating back to all his time with the Buccaneers. He has not drafted and developed many good players. And so to say that this trade was the best trade made last year. Yeah, from from a pure asset standpoint, I guess you can make that argument Uh, I would rather have Khalil Mack than all those draft picks because there's a good chance that you miss on those picks. Like the hit rate on finding an all pro in the first round is gotta be what 10 or 15%. Like finding a good starter is probably closer to like 75% in the first round, but there's also a significant chance that that player you draft is a starter and maybe not necessarily a difference maker. So yeah. To your point, like the Raiders have to draft well for this to be like some award winning trade that they made. Otherwise, it's it's trading, you know, it's it's trading a dollar for four quarters. And, you know, you, you look at you look at each quarter on, on its own. It doesn't it, it, it won't add up to a player of Khalil Max' stature just because he's so good. Like he's not just like a good player who you're moving off of. It's like you're moving off of one of the best players in the entire NFL.
1: And maybe, like I said, maybe we look back five years from now and the Bears are paying Khalil Mack a ton of money and the Raiders have all these assets, all these draft picks from that trade. And and I guess the residual, because uh, they probably win an extra game or two if they have Khalil Mack this year. So say they're not picking fourth. I mean, may, maybe they do draft right and they're fine. Uh, a half decade from now, but it's, it's very, very difficult to on the surface before we know what those draft picks are or uh, how they, how they play in the NFL. I, <laughs> I like analytics. I'm, I'm in on analytics. I'm, I'm sure that the people at Sloan, if they sat down and explained this to me, I could see their argument. Right. But,
2: Especially when you're going through a regime change. like It makes sense because not every player fits every scheme. Khalil Mack fits every scheme. I think that's one of the other issues. But yeah, when you you turn over your front office and your coaching staff, there's going to be a ton of turnover on the roster that comes with it, and that all makes sense. But when you talk about players who transcend scheme, Khalil Mack is certainly one of them. And there are no indications that Mack was ever a problem in the locker room, and it seems sort of like Gruden took it personally that Mac was holding out for a long contract and Gruden traded him rather than keep him around and pay him, which was probably the right move. And to your point, like if they draft a bunch of Colton Miller's, then the trade isn't going to look good, right? Like Colton Miller, Colton Miller was so good that the Raiders went out and made Trent Brown the highest paid free agent offensive lineman in NFL history right the guy like he played Trent Brown plays the same position as Colton Miller and they have so much faith in Colton Miller and obviously there are two tackles you need two tackles I get that but like let's be real about this like it's it's just impossible to look at that trade and say wow that was that was awesome for the Raiders and and have any confidence that they're going to use those picks correctly
1: yes right okay That's, that's that's it that that's what it comes down to
2: and uh so last last note before we wrap this thing up. Uh, Aaron Lynch, former 49ers pass rusher, is meeting with the Seattle Seahawks over under 18 and a half sacks for Aaron Lynch on the Seahawks next year.
1: Just under. Give me seventeen.
2: <laughs> Just under. Okay. Uh, with that, we're gonna wrap it up. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. and we will talk to you guys later in the week.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.